Wednesday night land pregame. Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ailish Warfar, Justin Cuthbert, jam-packed show. Frank Saravelli in a few minutes. Don Waddell, general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. And Timu Solani, ever heard of him? Hall of Famers joining us to wrap up the show. He's in a brand new movie with Brett Hall. <laughs> Minor leaguer coming out in 2024. Uh, we'll go through all of that with him. Uh, Don Waddell will join us at 6.30. Tee up tonight's game. We've got Edmonton and Carolina on the network. 7 o'clock across Sportsnet. And Frank will get us ready to talk about the Edmonton side of that because they have been the hot story, of course. Uh, before we get to Frank in a couple minutes, friendly reminder that we're going to do mailbag questions on Fridays. We're mm-hmm. starting this up now. Uh, you can send in your questions for Justin and I at 590-590. You can tweet us. You can DM us. Uh, Ailish Forfar, J.C. Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. And you can find us on all of your social platforms. Uh, we want you to be a part of our Friday segments. And we, yeah, we want you to produce our show. We yes, want, we, do. we want like a topic, a debate <laughs> thing, whatever you want to send us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best one we'll dive into for five to 10 minutes on a, on a Friday. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, anything you got, send it to us. Uh, and uh, we'd be greatly appreciative. Okay, Carolina Hurricanes, 10 and seven. Oilers, five, 11 and one. Uh, it's the big one tonight. I mean, what did you make of the Oilers and and more specifically Connor McDavid's comments about like we can't keep the puck out of the net? A bit of a shot towards goaltending, but I mean, at this point, it's a pretty glaring weakness. Frank Cervelli wrote a great article on Daily Faceoff about okay, how are they going to fix that? We'll chat yeah. with him in a, in a few minutes, but is that enough? Just having a stellar goaltender for these guys? Well, it's definitely not. I mean, I I think there was more than just that comment to it, but mm-hmm. eventually you can't keep coming up with new things to say, right? Like, uh, eventually, even if you desperately don't want to, and you're being the perfect captain, you're being, you're doing everything that goes under your job description, you're protecting your guys. Eventually, if you're asked enough questions, there's going to be some shade thrown at others because it's just the reality of the situation when everything's going bad and the reality of, like, the, you know, you can't keep the puck out of your own net. And, And eventually, you just have to say it because eventually it's just going to be pulled out of you. All right, Frank's going to join us now. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Frank, welcome back to North America, and welcome back to our show. Uh, Oilers tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. Are we close to seeing a move, some sort of action to get this team on the right track? Yeah, Ailish, I think we are getting closer. Um, There's... This is a situation where I don't think the Edmonton Oilers in this season with incredible expectations and pressure are going to leave any stones unturned. And they've got a little bit of runway to get this right, but not a ton. And if you look at their playbook and their checklist, so far it was trying to avoid getting to this exact spot, which is they waived Jack Campbell first. They hope that he can find his game in the AHL. That hasn't happened. He had an 817 save percentage in his first three AHL starts before a 30-save shutout last night. They fired their coach in Jay Woodcroft after 13 games. If you don't fix it, and this goaltending is historically bad, 867 save percentage. Just for reference, what does that mean? The Seattle Kraken two seasons ago had an 880 save percentage, and that was the worst goaltending that we had seen in the NHL in 30 years. So what the Edmonton Oilers are looking at 17 games into the season is historically awful net minding that their scores right now really just can't outrun. And I'm not sure that any point, 
this season as, you know, even McDavid gets back to the level he was at last year and dry cycle and that ridiculous power play. It's not a recipe for success when it comes to the postseason either. So they're in big trouble. Yeah, they definitely are. And it's definitely not one thing that's plaguing them. The goaltending, as you mentioned, is a big, big part of it. But there are other things that would have to come together. And maybe that's the chicken or the egg where just the goaltending has to solidify itself. And then maybe they can grow into the season. But for those reasons, you wrote about uh, potential goalies that the Oilers could target. Uh, Vimelka on the list, Mackenzie Blackwood on the list, Carter Hart on the list. Tell us a little bit about the process there for you. Are you hearing those names linked uh, in earnest, is is that what you're hearing in terms of the chatter going on? Or are you just picking goaltenders and teams that may be interested in playing the Oilers game, which is making a trade when at a time when NHL teams generally don't make trades? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And I would say part of it is, look, you have to take a look at the marketplace. And Oilers fans have been clamoring for, hey, let's go out and get Jeremy Swayman. And the real truth is, there's not really any incentive for the Boston Bruins to break up a tandem that is doing something that hasn't been done in the NHL since the 1980s with both of these guys in the top five in the league and save percentage. They're a huge reason why the Bruins are where they are. And in fact, one of the reasons why I think they ended up losing that first round series to the Florida Panthers last year is that they didn't introduce their second goaltender in the series until it was too late. So cross him off the list. And then the next guy that people have been talking about is UC Soros. Well, I talked to Barry Trotz, the Preds GM last week, and he said, no, no, no. When you get an elite goalie like this, we're trying to re-sign Soros. We want him to be the guy that's the backbone of our team when we're ready to compete for a Stanley Cup again in three years. So that's the other part of it. So take him out of the mix. So you've only got a few guys on teams that, It might make sense to part ways with their goaltender. And more than that, the biggest thing that you have to take a step back and consider for the Oilers is if you're going to take the plunge, goaltending is like voodoo. Like you have no idea what you're getting week to week, let alone when guys are changing teams. So you, if you're going to pay a price, you damn well better be certain that the guy you're getting is going to be a difference maker for your team. And so Jake Allen was another name that I had included in the list. The Oilers, of course, have been linked to watching the Montreal Canadiens recently, and I'm sure there are three netminders that they have in place. Allen would be a really calming veteran presence, someone who has a lot of consistency, has played more than 400 games, and has that experience. But for me, the one guy that you didn't mention that I would be targeting is James Reimer. And you guys know him well in Toronto, and people will step back and say, James Reimer, really? That's the guy you think they can get the Oilers back in the mix and back to a Stanley Cup uh, you know, playoffs and, and a deep run? And my answer to that is, in tandem with Stuart Skinner, yes. I think he could take a ton of heat off. And the reason for that is, when you blend together acquisition costs, which for James Reimer isn't going to be that high, Detroit is also one of those teams carrying three goalies, so I think they'd be comfortable with Alex Lyon and Vili Husso carrying the ball for a bit and probably would experience a lot of the same results. For 13 of James Reimer's 14 seasons in the NHL, he's kicked at a 900 save percentage or better. And... When you take a look at the one exception to that, it was last year when James Reimer had an 890. So an 890, okay, still not that great. That's James Reimer's worst. Do you know the difference between an 890 and an 867 that the Oilers have had so far this year? It's 11 fewer goals in just the 17 games that they've played. So even James Reimer's career worst would be that much better than what the Oilers have gotten to this point. 
I think he makes a ton of sense and has played in the pressure cooker before. We'll see where it goes. Just a name that I've put out there. But when you connect all the dots, like you can see that working. Another generally positive former Leaf. I mean, what could go wrong after the Jack Campbell uh, acquisition? Uh, Last one for you here on the Oilers. Uh, There is a weird power control dynamic going on. And I wonder if that's potentially going to get in the way of anything. You got Jeff Jackson. You got Ken Holland. I don't know if they're running out the string, but they're definitely entering a Jeff Jackson world. Does that complicate matters at at any point when trying to get a deal done? I don't think so because... Look, Ken Holland is, yes, he's in the last year of his deal. And yes, he's very likely to ride off into the sunset after this. And not all the moves that have happened to this point might be out of the Ken Holland playbook because he generally is a very patient guy and probably wouldn't have fired Jay Woodcroft without being pushed. I don't think there's a big push and pull, though, because I think he also understands the expectations that are at play here with this season. You've got two of the very best players in the world who, by the way, haven't played like that to this point in the season, but under contracts in their prime that still are relatively reasonable for what they produce. And you've got to try and take advantage of that, any opportunity that you get. So he gets that. Look, he had never made a coaching change at any point in his career in season prior to the last time around when he brought Jay Woodcroft in to begin with. So um, there have been instances where Ken Holland has already been pushed out of his comfort zone. It does happen. Make no mistake. Jeff Jackson is Ken Holland's boss and ultimately will be responsible for not only steering the ship, but also then determining Ken Holland's replacement. But I think these guys, at least by all accounts and everyone that I've talked to have worked very well together to this point, And I don't see any friction there. We're chatting with Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, let's talk about another team that's having a rough go. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, a nine-game losing streak. Uh, last place in the Metro, of course. A, ni- a minus 19 goal differential. How did we get to this point? Uh, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Audio clips coming out of there are even worse. Some of them don't even make sense. I was listening <laughs> to Pascal Vincent today, and I was like, well, sorry, what was that? What was he saying? He saw improvement where, when, by who, and and how exactly does all of this work? I think the most troubling thing for me is, you know what? You can healthy scratch Patrick Line, you can bench Johnny Gaudreau, but it's really alarming to me this, the way some of the young players have been handled there in Columbus. And I think it's devolved into a, a completely toxic scenario where I believe they need wholesale changes. You look at Yarmo Kekalainen and... Just just take a look at the style of coach that he wants. He first hires John Tortorella, and then one of his next hires, you know, a couple times later is Mike Babcock, and we know how that ended. And that probably should have just been the end for Yarmo Kekalainen right there with only one playoff series to win to speak of. But he gets another crack at it, and Pascal Vincent is the guy that he promotes, who also is coaching this team with a hammer. And the hammer's fine if you've got the pieces and you've got the players that react that way. But when you have Kent Johnson, who had a 40-point rookie season as a 19-year-old, and David Juracek, who's a sixth overall pick, who is already better than four of the defensemen that you're icing in your lineup on a nightly basis, and you healthy scratch him multiple games in a row and shuttle him back and forth to the minors. And then, oh, by the way, the Cylinder disaster and how that's played out. And then you're introducing Adam Fantilli into this mix. 
Look, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the truth is they've done a great job drafting, but they've done a very poor job developing, and that's the name of the game. You can draft as well as you want, but if you can't develop and get them there and make them productive, well, your team is going to sag every time, and the Blue Jackets seem to be a team that's lost and now is pretty much turned against everyone else based on the way their players have reacted to how this situation and this season has unfolded, and the message has been clear to them. Look at just the people that they're hiring and what they're saying to them. They'll let you know how they feel about players. Should we be uh, waiting for the rise of the Tampa Bay Lightning? Looks like Andre Vasilevsky is going to return possibly after this road trip. Uh, they've tread water pretty well, honestly. Um, they're they're right behind the Maple Leafs, to say the least. So are we going to see the Tampa Bay Lightning make a big push here once they get their star goaltender back? I would say yes, and... I think the truth is when you just go back to John Cooper and the things that he said when he rolled through Toronto, the guy is a master. I don't I don't want to say politician, but it certainly feels like he's got that ability, the suave nature. He knows when there's microphones around in Toronto and he sent a real clear message saying, hey, we're still here. We're still relevant. And they're only going to be more so once they get the big cat back and his ability to impact the game on a nightly basis. The odd thing about that is usually teams tend to sag when they get a player back um, of that stature. It's almost like they take their foot off the gas. They've been so in tune to the start of this season, trying to play well for Johansson in front of them that, you know, maybe there might be a little bit of a lull there. But I think this Tampa team is well equipped for success. And not only that. To me, when you consider the injuries that both of these teams in the Sunshine State have dealt with this season so far. I don't know which one I'm more impressed with or surprised with. It's probably Florida missing Ekblad and Montour, but both of those teams now being in absolute prime position, getting them back. And by the way, will be more fresh when it comes to April because of those players and the time that they missed only having 60 games of miles on them this year. They're in enviable positions moving forward, having such impact pieces returning. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right about that lull thing. Like Nikita Kucherov has been really good, maybe Hart Trophy good, but mm-hmm. he's the type of guy to be like, okay, work's done. We got to Vasilevsky, uh, and maybe I can cruise control for the next six weeks. Not saying that's going to happen, but I, I could see something like that uh, playing out. Uh, we're chatting with Frank Saravelli, daily face-off. Uh, William Nylander, it was his weekend in Sweden. Uh, you were there hanging out. Uh, did you just see anything other than you know a price increase when it comes to his contract? If we're doing fair value right now, If this contract has to be signed before the end of the year, what's William Nylander worth? Tell me how many years first. Eight. Let's do a max term. Let's do, let's do a fun max term here. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to enter into the conversation is with eight, right? You go max term. I I think he's somewhere between 11, five and 12. Um, I really think he's played that way into the, not just, He was in the upper echelon of NHL players before, but he's vaulted into that top 10 player in the league potential. And we've seen that play out on a nightly basis. It kind of in Sweden and the trip and the attention and the eyeballs and living up to that pressure. um, I think that sort of crystallized it for a lot of people that are outside of Toronto and don't really get to see him on a nightly basis. I know it feels like such a small percentage of the population. Um, But when you think about Nylander and delivering in those moments, like that to me is 
William Nylander in a nutshell. He's, and I've said this to you guys for a long time, he's the one guy on this team, and not to say that I have huge question marks, but that I don't have any question marks about when it comes to fire, compete, determination, ability to drag the rest of his team into the fight. Look at his playoff numbers. Look at the way that he plays in the playoffs. If there is a killer on the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm not sold that there is, but if there is, that's the guy. Remember when we were saying nine, 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 ten? It's that's so much. Now you're saying eleven and a half, twelve. Whoo! I mean, you gotta pay the man, pay the man, pay the man. Um, one last one for you here, Frank. Winter classic jerseys. Uh, what do you like? What do you not like about them? Well, I don't really <laughs> like the Vegas one at all, and it's kind of so on brand for Vegas to have those two mm-hmm. uh, ends of the V look like middle fingers because that's <laughs> basically what uh, it's basically what the Golden Knights have done to the rest of the league since they entered. That's a fair point. So, uh, yeah, very uh, very well done by them. It was nice and subtle. Uh, the Kraken one, nice tie into the Seattle Metropolitans. Oh, nice. I like the red. I like the addition there. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would rate the Kraken at a 9 out of 10, and I would give the uh, Golden Knights a a 5.5. Are you using both middle fingers for the 5? This is a PG show. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, your tweet was funny. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, I mean, look, observation. Yeah, it's it's certainly not something for me that I'm. I, I looked right away and I'm like, oh, that's I, I get I what they're going for, like the the sword here. But like, mm. once you see it, you can't yeah. not. Yeah, you ruined Bef- it for us. Before we let you go, uh, what dish gets the highest score at the Thanksgiving Ooh. table for you? I I'm a big stuffing guy. I really like okay. like uh, the turkey. Sometimes for me can be hit or miss. Like. And I think my hot take on Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, by the way. Yeah. I know. Like, obviously, fat guy loves to eat. Like, amazing. Um, but for me, um, I love the camaraderie. I love family around. I will crack my first beverage tomorrow before 10 a.m. Oh, and it yeah. will be amazing. A full day of football on a four-day weekend to kick things off with family and friends. Uh, but stuffing, to me, would be the thing that I look forward to most with some gravy on top. And I love the the sandwich you make the next day. Mm-hmm. Like, I I look forward to that more so than the actual, you know, meal itself is the cold leftovers the next day that you can have some fun with. Yeah, underrated leftover game, I okay. think. You got to think about both when you're when you're rating uh, your holidays. Well, enjoy it, Frank. Enjoy some uh, couch time, and we'll chat with you next week. Thanks for coming on. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. That's Frank Cervelli of DailyFaceOff.com. Uh, yeah, it is, it's time to gorge. <laughs> no, it's not time for us. Well, we, we know can, that. We can still pretend. We can gorge on football, I guess. Yeah, it'll be nice. You know, we have a jam-packed viewing experience over the next 48 to 72 hours. you got the Leafs finally back in action on Friday at 2 p.m. You've got one, two, three, four football games in that same span of time. And, uh, of course, you get to see your beautiful Toronto Raptors again tonight, too. So just keep blowing that in. Um, you want to talk about some Canada soccer? You want to talk about Bo Bichette and the Cubs? Uh, it's a choose your own adventure, right? Eh? Let's go. Let's save Bo and let's do Charmin now in the okay. Canada loss. We talked to Charmin yesterday, uh, and it was a devastating game for Canada. Losing to Jamaica, all they needed was a draw to get through to the uh, to the next round of the Nations Cup and get a spot in the Copa America. They failed to get the win over the reggae boys, and it's just a complete disaster and another real, real disappointing mm-hmm. end or conclusion 
to a chapter for this Canadian team, which just can't quite get it going in the right direction. So let's hear from Sharman on that loss. This brotherhood was forced down our throats through qualifying, let's be honest. Is that still there? Is that room as tight as it once was? Um, you know, you read between the lines on the post-game comments about fingers being pointed. That was not a happy room yeah. post-match. Um, there's a lot of ground to be uh, covered, I think, between now and March off the pitch, psychologically. It's, it's a decent team. We know we can do going forward and attack, but defensively, some major, major issues there, which I don't see any, any easy solutions to in the near future. Yeah, it was uh, utterly disappointing. They blew it um, in at home in front of a crowd that braved that wintry sleet weather and they had it in their hands and and we were talking about the coaching decisions that were made to to go all offense when they really just needed to to hold a lead they were up on aggregate and uh it's really devastating they have another opportunity uh, i think it's in march yep but Trinidad I mean, and tobago the way that this has has continued to I guess crumble since the World Cup. It's it's not an inspiring look for Canada soccer fans across like all aspects. I mean, Canada's being gifted a spot in the Copa America mm-hmm. to just have to go to the semis of the Nations Cup. To just and and even if you don't uh, accomplish that, you still get one game against Trinidad Tobago in March, and you go to the Copa America that expanded. It seems wants to bring more countries in that are going to be playing in a World Cup. And if you can't make that tournament, if you can't get into that 16-team tournament where you actually get a free opportunity to play games that you've been missing, well, like, what chance do they have at even... What chance do they have at not embarrassing this country on the world stage when they are co-hosting a World Cup? Honestly, it's that bad right now for this team. And if there is pointing and shouting and a coach that's not going to be the coach, like, forget it. I mean, it's just every, every bit of momentum they had has been lost. And just not getting into the Copa America. I mean, it's it was handed to you on a platter, Thanksgiving style, and they're just not going to be able to eat from it. Wow, that might have been your best sentence ever. It's Sports Night Five Ninety. The Frank fan. got me pretty excited. About it. <laughs> there you go. Possibility of eating some stuffing. <laughs> Starving. Um, all right, let's take a look at Between the Lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. I'm going. To fade the Toronto Raptors, but like politely fade them. Uh, they That's had, a polite fade? Well, you'll see why. Uh, awful showing last night against the Magic. They're basically out of the NBA in-season tournament. They play the Pacers tonight, who we talked about yesterday, uh, the number one offensive rating in the NBA. So in doing that, I'm going to bet the Raptors to lose, but but nicely by just saying the Pacers will score over 121 points. Uh they That's have, nice. That sounds like well, that means the Raptors could the Raptors could still win. Okay, uh, so you're leaving the door I'm open. I'm just saying the Pacers are going to score over 121 points. Uh, they are averaging over 128 points. And the Raptors have only scored 128 points twice this season. And that's what they're averaging at the Pacers. So I think we're we're all good here. Pacers scored like a billion points last night. The Pacers, uh, like you can be a good defensive team with the Toronto Raptors, may be. And they have defensive stalwarts at an individual level. But I don't think anything's going to stop the Indiana Pacers. It seems like uh, they're the type of team that's going to breeze past that number. So I do like that. That game against the Hawks that you're talking about, uh, Hawks-Pacers had the highest NBA over-under ever in like 30-plus years. And they beat the, it was 252. They beat the highest over-under by 57 points. It was like 309 combined The game was wild. It's just absolutely insane. To, To suggest the Raptors will shut down the Pacers may be a stretch. They're both playing 
on a second half of a back-to-back. I will go to our Wednesday night hockey matchup, Carolina and Edmonton. Carolina is like the worst team to face when you're kind of in your feelings a little bit like the Edmonton Oilers are. The Hurricanes are one of those teams that dominates possession every single time out there. And generally when you dominate possession and you dominate the shot share, you can take advantage when the other team is not doing things well, like performing the functions of a goaltender. Mm -hmm. So I like a high scoring game because Carolina is going to find the back of the net. Edmonton might too. But I'll go Carolina minus one and a half parlayed with over six and a half at plus 190. Carolina wins a high scoring game and they just have the better goaltending. So they win it. You're pandering to our next guest, Don Waddell of the Carolina Hurricanes, general manager, who's going to join us after the break. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. On the next half hour on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590, we've got Don Waddell and we've got Timu Solani. So stay tuned for that. Uh, lots to come on the fan pregame with Ailish and Justin. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Fan Pregame Sportsnet. 360 and Sportsnet 590 fan, Ailish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert up in about half an hour, Edmonton and Carolina on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. That's a big one tonight, and our next guest is also a big one. Yeah, uh, a really good guest. Don Waddell, uh, Carolina Hurricanes general manager, joins us. An interesting one tonight because it is a rematch of a Stanley Cup final of 2006. So I wonder, Don when the Oilers come to town, is there is there a little extra still? Does it mean something when the team that uh, the Hurricanes beat for their Stanley Cup in 2006 comes through? I mean, it helps that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are there as well. But do the Oilers give something to that building? Well, certainly, I think the the team that they have assembled there uh, always brings people out to see it. And you know. Oh, six was a memorable year here for all Hurricanes fans that were living here at the time when, uh, not, you know, to be able to win the Stanley Cup. So certainly there's uh, some good memories about the earliest being here. Uh, definitely. So let's assess the start here for uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. Ten and seven, thick of the Metropolitan Division race. Uh, you guys always have great underlying numbers, and that's no different this year. You know, we're, we're what, six weeks into the season. We're at that that benchmark of U.S. Thanksgiving how would you assess your guys' start and, and uh, what needs to happen to help solidify your standing in a pretty impressive Metropolitan Division? Well, I think if you look at uh, most of our games, we've played good periods, but not a lot of good games. And we had a great game down in Tampa. Uh, we could have to go or we won 4 nothing, But, you know, we, we were used to last year playing from a lead and, and the nights that we weren't, you know, we were able to come back. And, you know, the league's just so good. I mean, there's so much more balance within the league. There's no, as we know, no easy nights ever. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we're starting to find our game more and more right uh, as we speak. Hopefully uh, it'll continue on starting tonight. I've always been, uh, I guess, impressed with the Hurricanes culture. The bunch of jerks who kind of came out of, it felt like nowhere at a time to really win over this fan base. I know you've been in it for long enough. What's the fan base like in these times right now? Like inspiring, excited, and pretty rowdy usually. It's always a fun one when we get a chance to watch Hurricanes games. But uh, you guys have a unique fan base and seem very passionate as well. 
Yeah, very passionate, very loud. You know, we uh, actually cut off season tickets uh, this year at 14,000. Uh, we want to leave 3,500 for every individual game so new fans can experience hurricane hockey. So, you know, the fans have really, uh, I can't say enough good things about how they stepped up and we are a loud building. You know, we're, we're a pretty compact building compared to a lot of the new ones. Uh, our, our footprint's a lot smaller than some of the bigger buildings. And I think that helps uh, regulate some of the noise stays within the bowl. And, uh, you know, today at noon, they start tailgating outside. So by the time the game comes, they're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a different, you talk about culture, you talk about differentiators. That's a differentiator in the NHL, uh, teams and a fan base uh, that's involved in an all-dale tailgate, even when the NFL season in football is ongoing. Uh, those fans uh, have seen a winner for a while now. A fourth most wins uh, belong to the Hurricanes over the last five-plus seasons, uh, but you haven't been able to push it over the top. Uh, when you're building this team and thinking about the next steps, thinking about next year and continuing to push this forward, is it difficult to balance patience and the philosophy you guys have with the need and the want to finally win? I think as you go into after a season's over, like last year, you take a, a few days to uh, let it rest. You don't want to be making decisions when your emotions are high. And then you look at, okay, where, where can we improve? You know, the good thing is, for the most part, our, our team's pretty young, uh, still uh, earning stripes in this league. You know, we do have some great veterans. But we thought, you know, we wanted to keep the core of our group together and add to that. So, you know, we, we had some additions this year. And, you know, the style we play, and you'll hear Rod talk about it, is, you know, it's not the easiest style for somebody to come and pick up. And, you know, Brett Burns had a great year for us. But it took him 15 games last year to figure out the system that we play. So we're getting to that point now where the new guys like Orloff and, and Bunning and, uh, uh, you know, have been playing 17 games where they're starting to uh, understand how we're going to play this man-on-man that we do. So I think o- overall, when you look at it, you know, we just don't add to add. We don't make trades to trade players. We Every move we do is calculated by how, how this is going to make us better by a point, two points, and try to get us to that final goal. Well, of course, we have to ask you about that new addition, Michael Bunting. He was a fan favorite here in his short time as a Maple Leaf. Uh, looks like he's got nine points in 16 games. It's been a, a pretty great start for him. And you mentioned he's acclimating himself well into the climate of the, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, what do you like best about that ferocious kid on and off the ice? Uh, always given 100%. We knew that one for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think he had nine points in his first 12 games. Mm-hmm. He's been a little uh, snake bit here in the last four or five games. But, uh, you know, he, he is everything that we knew he was. You know, he's an offensive player that uh, 23 goals, I think, back-to-back in Toronto. And you know the other team is going to be out taking penalties against him. I think he drew the most minors in the league last year. It takes a few also, as we know, but uh, he's everything that we thought he'd be. Again, he, he's, he needs to take that next step defensively. As he gets more trust with Rod, he'll get more opportunities and, and get back playing, you know, 19, 20 minutes like he used to play. So you're playing an Oilers team tonight. Uh, that might be considered in the category of uh, desperation when it comes to wanting to make a trade. Now, I, I'm not asking you to tell us what's going on behind the scenes, uh, but when there are teams this early in the season that need to do something, and I don't know if you've been in this position exactly, how hard is it to make something happen when it seems like, you know, 80% of the league just kind of wants to feel things out, at least through the new year. Right now, if you're desperate, how hard is it to have someone play ball with you? 
it's very hard and the only way you get to do it is find somebody else that's as desperate as you are uh you know teams that are rolling along right now they're not really ready to make a change the cap becomes a big factor in anything you look at doing because if your team doesn't have much cap space you pick up money money's got to go out so th- this time of year is really hard to make trades and you know it's especially when the expectations for your team are higher uh you know some teams that you know they knew they were going to be you know probably a non-playoff team this year and battle all year there's other teams that think they had a chance to go deep into the playoffs so it's hard to make a trade if you can find somebody that's as desperate as you potentially are that's the only way you find a good fit back here in the middle of november uh chatting with don waddell carolina hurricanes general manager uh, every time there is a general manager position that opens up it seems that one of your guys, Eric Tulski, uh, gets mentioned. Now, I don't want you to advertise uh, his services elsewhere because I'm pretty sure he's valuable to your organization. But why is it that everyone talks about Eric? What value does he bring to the Carolina Hurricanes? Well, I think, you know, I, I've told through my whole career, you know, the best way for people to get an opportunity to have success is uh, for the organization and team to have success. You know, I went to Detroit for one year as an assistant GM to Kenny Holland. We won the cup, and then I got the job to start the Atlanta franchise next year. So I think what happens is people look at the success of your team and how that's going. If your team's going well and you're, you're making some good decisions, I think that reflects upon everybody that works in the organization. And in Eric's case, you know, it's very smart, uh, way smarter than I'll ever pretend to be. Uh, he's, you know, been our, uh, came in here as our analytic guy. He's, he's the genius when he's putting things together for us for uh looking at all the numbers and everything else that he does for us so i can see why teams would want to talk to him because of the success we've had over this five years that we've been on this run right now uh, of course when the nhl meets they discuss rule changes and this week was a little bit of a discussion about overtime changes potentially to make more offense make it more fun and uh you know less circling back and uh delaying the the fun what do you think about the three-on-three overtime format now is there something you would see to improve it or do you like it the way it is i don't know how you improve it you know it's it's pretty exciting still we got as many games as the years past ending and uh overtime not going to the shootout you know part of the strategy when you go back it's you know it's a long change for teams because we exchange ends and it's a long way to change so a lot of times you're throwing fresh players out there and the best success you can have is against tired players so i i don't know you know there's all kinds of things being talked about if it doesn't change i'd be fine with that because i do think the three on three you know, every team plays it a little differently. We're not a team that takes it back a lot. We try to be very aggressive in the offensive zone, and a lot of times that results in two-on-ones and breakaways the other way. But I still think there's an exciting uh, factor in three-on-three. And uh, so we'll, 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 we'll study it hard in March when we go to the GM meetings, and we'll see what we come up with. That's why you guys aren't part of the problem, Don. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, part of it in this discussion was, uh, you know, general managers want it to be more exciting. Uh, I, I find that a little bit hard to believe. Like, you guys want to win the game. So if you're taking away a tool, that doesn't really compute with me. Is it true that general managers want overtime? Do they care that overtime is exciting? Uh, I I don't know. I, 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 I like it. I think it's very exciting. Um yeah, I, I don't want to speak for all my uh, partners around the league, but certainly, you know, the chances going up and down the ice, uh, as much as you, it puts a little uh, stress on you, I think it's great for our fans, uh, home or away. You know, breakaways in hockey is the, the, the thing everybody's waiting to see all the time. So 
know, if that happens, you know, let it be and uh, let the best team end up uh, scoring a goal. But having, having multiple chances, I think, is is good for our sport. Well, we're in for a good one tonight, Edmonton and Carolina, up at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet. We appreciate your time. Best of luck. And we'll definitely chat with you down the road. Great. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Uh, Don Waddell, Carolina Hurricanes general manager. Uh, big one against Edmonton Oilers tonight. Uh, it's always fast-paced when they're out there. Like They are just, the, aren't they the Kaniacs? Like, yeah, I mean, they're the Kaniacs. They're the bunch of jerks. That's they're it. an exciting team. I think you throw the Oilers in the mix, too. And it's if, if it's the normal Oilers, it's like, I mean, you're licking your chops, right? So the Oilers have, uh, you know, they have to live up to expectations. It seems, and we're talking about the market consistency, Carolina Hurricanes have been living up to expectations for five years now. And, and that's impressive, right? Because things do change. and You add bodies in, and eventually everyone gets on the same page. They keep doing the same thing every single year. Uh, and it's very impressive. They're doing a really good job out there. Okay, speaking of impressive, how about a Hall of Famer and a movie star? Timu Solani is joining us next. A new movie with Brett Hull, Minor Leaguer, coming out in 2024. Timu, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're super famous, superstar, and we got time for us people, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime, guys, but uh, I would not call superstar uh, uh, actor yet, but uh, it has been fun. <laughs> so how did we get to this point? Uh, was this like a, a, a dream you've had forever to be in a movie? Uh, how did Walk us through how we're going to be seeing this new one with you and Brett Hull. Uh, well, it was not dream at, at all. You know, I, I was first when I heard that you know there's a chance to do this kind of uh, acting. I was not very very excited about that. But I said, okay, let's sit down and and uh, read the script and everything and how I feel after that. And actually, it sounded so funny that I said, okay, you know, maybe this can be fun. And it's like a hockey comedy and a lot of laughing and and jokes and stuff. So. Uh, uh, it, it, it was a nice experience, uh, but I don't think, you know, I'm going to become actor anytime soon. <laughs> no, you already are. I mean, once you do it, you're, it's like you, uh, you're a Hall of Famer forever. You're not, not a Hall of Famer because you weren't inducted uh, this past year. Uh, but you play yourself, Timu. Uh, is this an exaggerated version? Is this like a spot-on version? Are we learning who the real Timu Solani is? through this movie, or uh, is it a bit of an exaggeration? No, I know it's no, not for no, kids, no. so I'm hoping a bit of an exaggeration. Absolutely not. That's why I was so excited about Even I'm playing myself, but totally different team of mm. This is like, a, this guy in the movie is like an egomaniac, all about him. It's, uh, it's, that's why it was so, like I said, <laughs> it's kind of funny to, to uh, play myself like that version, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's almost embarrassing, you know, but, but that's why it's so exciting to do that. Uh, otherwise, if I, if I would play just myself, I, that would be not anything special, but this is actually pretty cool. Uh, so in the movie, you have um, some serious beef uh, with Brad Hall, another hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, how was your on-ice relationship in your playing days? Was there beef then that is extended <laughs> over into the, uh, the big screen, or are you guys pretty cool in real life? Oh, we are, we are pretty cool in the real life, and we are good buddies. And uh, uh, Holly is so easygoing guy and funny, and uh, and we always had, had a great time. And uh, so, so, but this movie, of course, like you know, there's two Hall of Famers who are complaining who has a bigger ego, ego, and uh, and uh, I already have a minor league team, and he doesn't, and I try to make sure that he doesn't get the team. Eventually, actually, he will get the team, which I'm not very happy about it. But everything that happens between that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty funny stuff. And, uh, 
and uh, so, but like either either of us, we are not like that in the normal life. So uh, that's why it has been very special to try to act something that I'm really not. So, uh, you know, I think the kids are saying these days uh, that night was a movie. And I think that means that, like, it was like a really adventurous night, a night that you would remember. Uh, I can confirm. Uh, <laughs> you are young. <laughs> yeah. uh, did, you, did you have a teammate, Timu, whose, like, life was a movie? Like, they always had stories. They always had something going on that maybe they should be in the movies as well. Do you have a teammate whose life was a movie in your playing days? Oh, you know, there's a lot of guys that they are so showman. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the early days, like Warren Reichel, Ty Domi, those guys, they just love attention in a good way, you know, and they just make sure that the entertaining is going to go uh, off the ice as, as well. Jeremy Roenick, same thing, you know, it's just uh, there's so many guys that, you know, like uh, uh, what I really miss about locker room is about stories. Mm-hmm. Stories of, of the stories and, and that entertaining what you get there. You can't really get that from anywhere else. And obviously when, you, when you're like a brothers, you can almost tell any kind of story. So it's a, that's, that's the part what I really miss, you know. We're chatting with Team Mussolini. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, hockey outside of North America. We just saw the Global Series in Sweden a couple of days ago. Obviously, it was in Finland in 2022, a close one for you. But how great is it to see that the NHL is making a concerted effort to make sure that they play games outside of the North American bubble to get back to some of these really rich hockey roots um, and be a part of, of growing that game at a really high level? I'm so happy that the NHL, they have done this for a long time now. And even 90, I think 97, we went to Winnipeg, uh, I mean, Anaheim Ducks and Vancouver, we went to Japan. Mm-hmm. First time ever we were out of the North America. And uh, first of all, it's a great experience for the players. And especially those players who are coming from those countries and coming from Europe. I think it's a great way to give back for the, for the European fans and give a taste of what the NHL is and that obviously they're going to see great, great hockey. Uh, so I'm so happy that, uh, that the NHL are doing this. And uh, obviously, I think that's why the hockey, NHL has become so big because there's so many uh, countries who are big fans, even Australia this year, you know. So I think that's a great, uh, great idea. And uh, for the players, sometimes it's kind of tough to go to overseas and all the jet lag and everything. But those are the things what you will have a great memory so um, i'm so happy that we're doing those so timu uh connor mcdavid scored 64 goals at the edmonton oilers last year the year before austin matthews had 60 with the maple Leafs, but you famously scored 76 goals in your most prolific <laughs> season uh do you think we're going to see an nhler score 76 goals here in the near future well i hope so i think everybody loves goals and i think the amount of goals what we get scored in now in the in the league it's a great direction, you know, and it's more skill and more speed. Uh, so that's all good. So I, I really hope so, you know. Obviously, it's a big number, and uh, for a while it was, if you score, somebody scored 50, it was huge. I remember why, uh, my third time when I won the goal scoring title, I, I had 47 goals. And I, I always talk about that. I'm probably the only guy in NHL history that. Uh, career went down down downside after first year so <laughs> i like to see i like to see goals and i enjoy that and that's that's keeps the entertaining for the fans so uh i, I really like how nhl is played right now 
uh, you're a Hall of Famer, and Hall of Fame weekend just passed. Four goaltenders were inducted. I think you scored some of those 76 goals against some of them uh, that year. Was there one that was most feared to you, a goaltender that you just, oh, boy, this one's got my number. Uh, you get you get a little nervous to match up against them because they had they had the stuff. I never got nervous about facing any goalie. I think the toughest uh, one was Dominic Hazard uh, for me. Uh, for some reason, I was always good, very good read about uh, different uh, goalies' style. And uh, but Hazard had no style, so that was kind of hard for me. And uh, he was like an acrobatic, uh, uh, you know, guy there, so it was hard to read him. But you know, all those guys, you know, like uh, uh, Mike Vernon, uh, Eddie Belfour. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those guys, Martin Burr, those guys were super good. And uh, and I always hear the stories, oh, well, the goals were not so good at the time when you scored seven. I said, wait a second. <laughs> you said that those guys, are, they were unbelievable. Safety, Patrick Ruan, all those guys, you know, that's like, you know, so I think the goalies have always been uh, great and it has never been easy to score. But again, like I said, I'm very happy to see that there's more goals score, scored now, right now, and uh, because I think it's a big, big part of this. Uh, this uh, not only this hockey, but business as well. Uh, last one for you, Timu. The uh, Anaheim Ducks have had maybe a bit of a surprising start. They've cooled of late, uh, but they're right in the thick of the race in the uh, Pacific Division. What do you make of their start? Maybe a little ahead of schedule. Maybe that's not what they necessarily want to see because they're kind of slow building this a little bit. But you're in California. You're seeing the Ducks games. What do you make of this year's iteration? You know, I'm I'm super excited about this team. It's a young, it's a fast skill, and I think it's gonna they're gonna really surprise a lot of teams. Of course, they are not ready yet, but I think they have a very good start. That they're big, you know, this is the hardest working GM that I can imagine, and Craig Cronin has done uh, I think a very good job with the young players. I'm expecting that two three years, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have a team that uh, who's uh, contender for winning the Stanley Cup and uh, and but even now like you know the ex- expectations are not that high but it's so exciting to watch watch these young guys and uh, I've been really enjoying to go to the games and, and following these guys. Well we're excited to uh, see you on the big screen as well. Hall of Famer, movie star, <laughs> Academy, Academy Award. You might get an Oscar. I hear the rumblings oh, already. Okay. We don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> well we really appreciate your time today. It was great to chat. Uh, best of luck with the with the success of this. I know we're 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 being fun, but it will be a great movie to watch and we'll make sure all our listeners know where to find it. Thanks, Timu. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Musolani, a new movie with Brett Hall, of course, coming out uh, in 2024 called Minor Leaguer. He's a Hall of Famer and an NHLer, and I'm going to give you the preview right now. Storyline, a minor league hockey player struggles with the massive ego of his team's new owner, a hockey legend who was once his childhood hero. There's more, but you have to stay tuned. And that new owner's Timu, correct? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, Timu right in the thick of the plot there. That's good stuff. This is going to be a good movie. Yeah, Brett I'm Hall looking forward in to it. it. Uh, I think I saw a, Scotty Upshaw's in it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, an official rating yet, but uh, it's no. it's it might not be. It's for on the, IMDb. It might not be for your little cousin. So now, yeah, I think if you read a little bit more into the uh, description, there's uh, there's a romance, there's uh, some fighting. Yeah, not all for television. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a PG something. Might not even be, maybe. 
What's PG thirteen? Then there's, it's not rated R, but it might be. I'm not gonna lie. You think it's gonna be rated R? It's uh, it's got some uh, Timu. It's interesting. Yeah. Now when you click Timu, he's got his own page on IMDb. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. He's in a couple other things, but they're just like little TV series where he makes a where he makes a appearance. Anyway, that's gonna be great. 2024. We'll make sure we circle back when it's officially out. Let everybody know where to get it. Should we touch on Boba Shet? Let's yes. Let's. <sighs> Our buddy, John Morosi, who we love to death, is getting everybody fired up Why online. Why are you prefacing it with that? Because I just want everyone to know where it's coming from. That we I love him? Yeah. Okay, we do. Well, but we do. I we do. do. Um, he had a, a quick report, um, I think it was on MLB Network today, where he said, quote, a name that surfaced for them, the Cubs, last offseason is Bo Bichette. They do have an opening at third base, and the reason this makes a lot of sense is the Cubs have a tremendous depth of prospects from which to trade. End quote. He's adding that if they don't bring back Cody Bellinger and they want to attract Shohei Otani, this would help build their lineup and look very attractive for Shohei to maybe sign with them if Obachet's on there. Yeah, so we know Shohei Otani wants to play for a contender. We know the Cubs maybe have to add even beyond Shohei Otani to be considered a yeah. contender. And one of the first names, and again, I'm not, as much as I love John, I'm not aware of everything that he's talking about, but Bo Bichette may be at the top of the list in ways to which the Cubs can improve and maybe entice <sighs> Otani. Uh, that is a spicy one. I don't know how legitimate this is, but I will say, if the Blue Jays end up trading Bo Bichette this offseason, then just trade Vladdy. Yeah, just, just trade do it all. Kevin Gosman. Tear it down. And just trade Chris Bassett and just get rid of everybody because is this team going to be the competitive team it wants to be without Bo Bichette? No. The answer to that, in my opinion, is a resounding no. Yeah, um, uh, Morosi mentioned that they have, I think, six out of the top 100 prospects in baseball. And if you want to go that route. Grab a couple then, that's if fine. If you want to go that route, if it's all, if it's like, hey, this ain't going to work, let's rebuild, then sure, it's just like, gobble up those prospects. But don't act like you want to win and trade no, Boba you, you have to make a decision. And I hope that's not the decision. I hope we see Boba Shett in the Blue Jays uniform. That'd be pretty before. disappointing. Yeah, I would be very sad. But, you know, we'll see how things shake out. I think Shohei's got to set the tone here and just make a decision so we can stop talking about rumors. Yeah, we got yeah. Shohei's got to help us out here. We need one thing to happen. All right, everyone. Uh, Edmonton, Carolina up next on Sportsnet. Uh, Sportsnet 590 fans got Ali. Oh, Show Ali and Jesse Rubinoff. Oh, You're they're right. coming up next. We'll see you guys tomorrow.